Had a great start to my day, and it began with Boyer's Coffee, sitting here right in front of me, in fact, on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Tastes so good, gets my day started. They have a plethora, I love the word plethora, plethora of flavors, and they make it so easy for you. Just go online to boyerscoffee.com. You're going to see all the flavors that you can purchase. There are a lot of other items you can purchase as well. And they'll have them delivered to your house. It's that simple. I had my Aspen Gold this morning. As I told you, that's my go-to flavor. And it gets my day started. And uh, I sneak another uh, cup or two throughout the day. Always have my Boyers at the ballpark as well. You could do the same. Or you can go to your local market and find your Boyers Coffee there as well. They've been brewing coffee since 1965 in the Rocky Mountain region. They're awesome. They're terrific. Boyerscoffee.com. We're into the summer and there's always a lot of projects outside, tidying up, cleaning up, projects that you're going to maybe put off to the fall, but you want to be prepared. And the best way to be prepared is to have a number of steel products at your disposal. S-T-I-H-L. They're the best in the world and they have every sort of tool to help you around your yard, around your house, to help your neighbors, to help the whole neighborhood if you need to, whether it's trimmers, chainsaws, blowers, you name it, every size imaginable. Battery is my go-to. Battery is the way to go. It's easy it's nimble. They last forever. They have the best products going. And you find them at steeldealers.com or steelusa.com. That's S-T-I-H-L. Steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. And you will be amazed at the number of great products they have that's going to help you with uh, every project you have around the house. And as I said, around the neighborhood. Your neighbors will love you. Take care. Steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, the Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions. And Drew has TV analyst, the great Peter McNabb, to break down the Avs' run for the Cup. The Avalanche didn't lose two in a row. They were actually better on the road than they were at home. And it was just a remarkable playoff. I think once the Edmonton Oilers in the late 80s went 16-3, and but this was right there with the very, very, very best playoff runs ever. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one second. It's over! They did it! They did it! The job is done! The Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions! And they will lift Lord Stanley a mile high. Stupendous, remarkable, unbelievable, joyous, all adjectives apply as we welcome you into show number 156, the Avalanche, our Stanley Cup champions. They win 16 games out of 20 in capturing the Stanley Cup for the third time. They were driven they were poised, they were motivated, they were the best team in hockey. And they brought so much good feeling to the whole Rocky Mountain region, man. There's nothing like winning. There's nothing like winning. And for me, there's nothing better than a Stanley Cup because it is the most painful, literally, for a lot of these guys, arduous process to win 16 postseason hockey games in all a sport. And it's not to diminish the Super Bowl champions. It's not to diminish the World Series champions or the NBA champions. But there's just something about hockey. There's something about you're living as a fan on the edge, night after night after night, period after period. Even when you think a, a game may be in hand, it, it never seems to be. And the Avalanche got it done. They were the most dominant team primarily in the regular season. 
I know they didn't win the President's Trophy. They kind of the last couple of weeks, I don't want to say coasted, but they made sure they they were healthy and rested for the postseason. So they probably gave up their opportunity to have the best record in hockey during the regular season. But for me, and I watched virtually every game they played, and I saw Tampa during the regular season in Florida and some of the other elite teams, they were the best team in hockey. And there's no one who knows hockey. There's no one who follows hockey that won't tell you, yes, the right team won the Stanley Cup in 2022. So congratulations to that entire organization from Joe Sackick on down to Jared Bednar, uh, to all the household names now, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who was a captain at 19. What an unbelievable ride. We're going to talk to Peter McNabb. I, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to. And we're going to do it over a couple of parts because uh, we we taped a conversation this morning. And quite honestly, I could have gone on with Peter for hours. But we did go on for over an hour. So we'll break it up into two parts. You'll hear second part, the second part next week. I, I really honestly couldn't think of anybody better to chronicle what the Avalanche went through this year, put it in historical perspective, then then Peter, who played the game and was a great player in his day, though he's the most humble guy going. He was a tremendous player with Boston, and he's been among the very, very best analysts in all of hockey for 30-plus years. He, he first did work with the Devils, and then fortunately when the, uh, when the Nordiques relocated to uh, Denver and became the Avalanche. He was on board from day one. Uh, You'll hear me talk about this with him. I've learned more hockey from Peter McNabb than anybody by far. I got to work with him for, uh, I think it was six, seven years through through two cups as the pre and post game host. And um, Peter's the best. So I know you're going to enjoy and love the conversation we have. uh, And that's coming up in a few moments. couple of uh, things I'm going to get out of the way or, or wanted to mention, not get out of the way. That's kind of not being respectful to a couple of topics I wanted to talk about. One, I, I took a couple of games off in Minnesota where the where the Rockies were um, to go to my 40. It should have been my 40th reunion, but because of COVID, it was actually year 41 since I graduated high school. And we combined it with um, the folks who graduated um, 42 years ago. So it was 80 and 81 back in my high school in New York, just north of Manhattan. And had a, had a really good time. Um, a lot of my closest friends, or several of my closest friends, guys I had played ball with, you know, everybody spread all over the country for various reasons, couldn't make it in. So, I mean, I was I was kind of vacillating, to be honest, whether I was going to go. Um, and, I, and I said, you know what, I'm going to regret if I don't go. And I went and I had a really good time, really good time. And it was interesting because I had gone to my 10-year reunion and my 20-year reunion. And I know a ton of you listening have gone to various reunions. And maybe some of you said, you know what, been there, done that. I see on Facebook what everyone's doing. Or I'm in contact with the people I want to be in contact with. And I understand that sentiment, that kind of thought process. But I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to show up. And um, what was done less of this time, 40-plus years removed, than in the early days where you're just kind of recounting high school times and retelling stories that you hadn't told in in quite some time and, and you know laughing about that. I'm sure there was some of that for for other people. But I found more of it talking to people that I was friendly with, but maybe weren't in my inner circle 40 plus years ago, but I cared about. I liked and, you know, Time flies by and just catching up on what they've done with their lives. And um, I found that neat and I found it, uh, you know, fun to to reconnect with a number of people. It's, it's not like everybody, you, you know, you, you see again that you're going to take their phone number. But I think I probably took down five or six phone numbers of, of people that, um, you know, I hope to see again. That, that I hope to connect with if they're coming through town or or when I'm back east, that sort of thing. Um so that was uh, that was fun, man. I want to say this too, and I mentioned this to a lot of um, a lot of my friends that um, uh, afterward. How? What percentage of the people that you'd go up to or came up to you did you have to cheat and look at the name tag? 
And honestly, it was probably, oh, I think the consensus was like 60% or so. You look and you go, oh, wait, that person looks familiar, obviously older. Um, but, you know, you take the quick glance down. Probably 60% of the time, at least, you had to do that. And then there were some that was no brainer. That is so and so, man. That's that person. Um, so. It was cool. It, it, it really, uh, it was one of those things that I kind of figured I would be glad that I did, and so I'm, I'm really happy that I did spend the time and, uh, and go back to my reunion. And it was good to see, you know, most people take good care of themselves. Most people looked, you know, on the exterior like uh, they were pleased, and you know, there's always sad stories in there as well. But um, so I, I guess. If you're on the fence about going to your reunion when it comes up, go. Not going to hurt you. Go. You'll enjoy it. You'll be glad you did. Baseball. Uh, the Rockies stumbled home after one in five road trip. Uh, they got swept in Miami. They've never played well in Miami. Mentioned they went to Minnesota. I did the game Friday night, and they won one to nothing uh, on Friday night, which um, was awesome. Lost uh, six nothing on Saturday, six to three on Sunday. They come home and they're taking on the Dodgers, and you're thinking, "Oh boy, here we go. This is this is not going to be good." And Chad Cool goes out and in like two hours and fourteen minutes throws an absolute gem, first complete game of his career, first shutout naturally of his career if it's his first complete game. Allows three hits. I think only one of the hits left the infield, and. He outdueled the former Rocky, who was who's been having a great year, Tyler Anderson, who came into the game eight zero, and the Rockies got a couple of runs uh, fairly early on, and then Jose Iglesias, who's had a who's had a good year swinging the bat, he's hitting around three hundred, about a little above three hundred, hits a two run home run, but it was his first home run in a Rockies uniform, and um, so the Rockies went four to nothing. It was a great start as we taped this on on Tuesday morning. It was a great start. To the homestand, anytime you can beat the Dodgers, it's great. And, and I say that not because, oh, I hate the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been in the postseason like 10 straight years. They've won the Division Nine of the last 10 years. Since 2010, they have the best record um, by a significant margin of any team in baseball. And we know, especially since the 2018 season, the Dodgers have dominated the Rockies. But so far, again, as of this taping... The Rockies have won three of the first four. And I should mention that going forward, the Rockies will play the second toughest, at least by current win percentage, the second toughest schedule in all of baseball the rest of the way. And, uh, you know, their their record as we speak today is 10 games below 500. So if, if they're going to fight and scratch and claw and try to get anywhere close to 500, they're going to have to be really special against a daunting schedule. I mean, they still have a a ton of games left with San Diego, a ton of games left with the aforementioned Dodgers. You have to go to New York, play four games against a really good Mets team uh, on the road. So uh, that will be interesting. It was good to see Chris Bryant back. Didn't have a big impact in in his first game back. He threw out a base hit to uh, left center field. They need to keep him in the lineup. It helps lengthen the lineup. I think it'll help everybody around him. C.J. Crone, Charlie Blackman, uh, Connor Joe, who's, as we talk right now, has really been uh, he, he's been steady all year, but he, he's particularly warm right now. Hopefully it helps Brendan Rodgers. Uh, but let's see how this unfolds. And, you know, we're on the precipice of July and uh, the trade deadline coming up. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. We'll, we'll start to talk about, you know, where the Rockies will go, how they will go uh, in the coming days. Uh, but again, it was good to see Chris Bryant back and, and hopefully he can have the kind of impact going forward and good health that uh, that the Rockies envisioned when they signed him to a seven year uh, deal in the offseason. All right. Back to hockey. Back to the Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. I'm going to begin here as I toss to, to Peter McNabb in our interview, the first part of our interview. The most wonderful thing, and this will be repeated, about sport is that it transcends politics. It transcends um Everything in life, it brings people together. It is a uniter. And 
Also, it's okay that you may not have been a big hockey fan, but you jumped on board the proverbial bandwagon. That's okay. For me, maybe people watch this and they become lifelong avalanche fans, lifelong hockey fans. To me, that's a good thing. So there's always room. If I'm in charge of the bandwagon, there's always plenty of room. There's always more spaces. There's always more rows. There's always more seats. And my guest this week and next week is a guy that I began working with back in 95 when the avalanche became to be after arriving from Quebec. And Peter was doing games in New Jersey after a terrific career. And I remember sitting on the set for the first time with him doing the pregame show. And Peter was like flop sweating, like in the movie Network. So when they would cut to me and my single shot, they would, somebody would run over with a towel and, and wipe his face off. And, and, you know, so the makeup's tripping down and kind of, you know, try to help him out with, with the, with the sweating. And I, he's not going to be embarrassed. I tell, I've told this story. Um, he was always calm, cool, and collected and has always been on the air. And he's a wealth of great stories and great knowledge. Um, you'll hear me say this early in the interview. I've learned more about hockey and particularly the NHL game from Peter McNabb than anybody on the planet. And I continue to, when I watch him, uh, with Moj, when you listen to him, uh, you know, when he's doing the radio with, with Connor McGahee throughout the playoffs, he's the best. And he's a wonderful, wonderful person. And he's kicking cancer's ass, most importantly, right now. So I know you're going to get great joy out of uh, Peter's reflections on this historic run to cup number three for the Colorado Avalanche. Part one, our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week, the wonderful and great Peter McNabb. I have to tell you, you know, going back to when you know, there were just such a gamut of emotions for me because, you know, go back to 95, 96 when the team arrives and, and I got a, I got a huge and I've continued ongoing even from afar, got a huge hockey education from you and, and to see the, that team and the 001 team with all these Hall of Famers knowing that it couldn't continue because of the salary cap. And then what this team was able to accomplish, man, I, I, it's hard in what we do, Peter, to be fans again. And I found myself being an unadulterated fan, and it was friggin' awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, I, and I think the players, uh, obviously they had their night with the cup, and the families were all there. It was really, it was really cool. I think they're going to have a couple of days. I think they're going to be absolutely astounded with the parade. I mean, it's going to be, you know, they're 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 going to think it's going to be a, and it's going to be a plus 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 people are going to yeah. be there, and they're just going to have a wonderful wonderful time. Yeah. So you you know you've been here forever, Peter. You know that that this town, they you know, all towns love a winner. I know that's a cliche, um, but they I think they're going to be blown away, especially some of these younger guys that that may not know the Macars and. You know the Bo Byrams. They, they're they're going to be blown away at the number of people that are going to show up. You know, because it's it's one of those glorious things that I've seen and I know, and it's just you know, Drew. There's just certain things that you know are facts. You know, and and they're backed up, and I can show you a million times over. What happens in the playoffs is okay. You go into the playoffs, especially a team like the Avalanche, where there's a lot of you know, people are, there's a lot of interest and, in, in, you know, the trepidation of the second round thing and all of that stuff. And, but you've got a certain group of the, of, of people that are watching the team as they go into the playoffs. Okay. But as round one goes, it gets bigger and boom, and okay, now let's start the second round. And the, the, the number of people watching after the first round into the second is, Ten times what it was when it started, and then you win the second round, and there's a huge sigh of relief. And now you're into the third round, and it just grows and grows and grows. And it, it, you know, you're invested. You're invested, and you enjoy being invested. And I had, you know, a couple things I had to do where, you know, all of the people there where I was where I was going were, you know, they had their their sockets and their McKinnon, and you know. 
it's you know it was every, every I mean I, I can't imagine what the uh, viewership or the listening or what the whatever was for that game six. It must have been extraordinary. Yeah, and, and you know what's something else, Peter? I, you know, talking about kind of being able to put the fan hat on again. Honest to God, and and we're we we've been in sports. You played forever. You've been involved in it forever. You grew up around it with your dad, for God's sakes. So, but but even doing what I've done for years, I find it nerve wracking watching the watching the games. I'm like, I can't deal with this, man. Just, I mean, it's it's is that silly? I mean, no, no. You know, Drew. You know what? You wouldn't be doing what you do for a living so well if it was silly. That would mean it meant nothing. You know, it was just you were rambling on about something. It was your job, sort of thing. And you yeah. know full well that you don't have a job. You know, you you have a wonderful thing that you do. That's you know you don't you don't work for you're like me. You don't work for a living. Yeah. You know, we just have never done that because we're fan, I'm a, I'm the biggest hockey fan you'll ever find. So yep. for me to sit there and do the TV part of it for the first round and whatever, and then you know be lucky enough to work on the radio, it, it, it's I couldn't I wouldn't wish to be anywhere else doing anything else. And uh, you, you're you're the same way because I mean you should have seen <laughs> Connor and I every TV timeout we'd look up and go eight minutes. There's still eight minutes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Wasn't it seven minutes? I, I'll never forget. I, I said it on air, but it was it, it always struck funny. Michael Ruzioni, I, who I got to know because he was with the obviously the Miracle on Ice in '80, um, and he was at Boston University, and you know I got to know him. He said that the guy still laughed at how long the final ten minutes of that game in Lake Placid took because they they swear that they were adding time as the. As it went on, and that's what it seemed like. It, I mean, as well as the Avalanche were playing, and they were completely dominating, completely dominating the game. There was no, but there was that chance when it was just one goal, a bad bounce, a penalty, a you know, a fluky play, it could, could have tied it up, and then you get in overtime, and then you're talking a crapshoot, and you know, it's pretty tough to beat a team three times in a row in the overtime, so. You know, you're probably looking at going back to Colorado for Game Seven. You know, so it was. You know, that the things that go through your mind as as the games going on are just amazing. Peter, what, there were two things that stood out to me in the third period. One, and and I want to solicit your thoughts on it, and you kind of touched on it. Um, one, the Avalanche played. You know, at least in in my mind, you know, you you forget periods. You have a great memory for these things. You can go back, go, yeah, I remember game two against the L.A. Kings, or but that they played as perfect a period when you're talking about two elite teams as as I can ever remember seeing. And the second part, because I'm always going, yeah, you can territorially dominate, and all of a sudden you give up a fluke, and it's two two, and then holy shit, you know, now you're in overtime. And when uh, Tampa had a good chance, Kucherov, Kucherov had a great uh, – you're watching the pass come across, and you're going, here it is. I've seen this. We've all seen it, right? And Kemper got across. I mean, he made um, – you know, I talking to him a little bit on the plane. That was the save of his career, save of his hockey life. He'll, he'll have that one to show his kids as he looks back on his career – Years from now, and say I made that save at that moment, and a few minutes later, this, 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 my club won the Stanley Cup. I mean, I, I don't know how goaltenders handle the pressure. I, I it, it's phenomenal. I've been around, you know, I was I was talking about being around goalies that are Hall of Fame goaltenders: Roger Frazier in Buffalo, Gary Cheevers in Boston, Marty Brodeur in New Jersey. I was that I was playing with the other two, but then around, and then of course Patrick Waugh here. They're they're a different breed. They're able to handle. I mean, I would just, I, I, I just the the scrutiny alone would bury me. And they they just you know and he, you know to to do what he did because he had to win four games. That that was his job was to win four games. And he you know they win four three, and then he then he's got a shutout, and then he's got a two when he when they win three two, and then a two one. 
So he he won every game that was there to win. He won, and that's yep. all you can ask a goaltender to do, especially when the guy at the other end is Vasilevsky, who right now probably stands as the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. But Darcy Kemper can say, but you know what? Stared him down, and I won. Absolutely. And, and Peter, overall, that third period for you was at where, – where would you rate it among great periods with with what was at stake that you've witnessed or, or, or participated in? Yeah, I, I think you hit the key right there. I mean, the Avalanche have played a lot of periods like that where they just completely dominate. They've played them in the playoffs where they completely dominate. You know, this is a club that went nine and one on the road. You know, so I mean, you know, everybody else was minus, in, you know, in the National Hockey League on the road, except for St. Louis. And you know, it, it's a it's a tough place to win is on the road, and the Avalanche. All four series, they want the game clincher that that's quote unquote toughest game to win was on the road. So the Avalanche had a lot of those periods. But as you said, when the stakes were at their highest, they were they did the thing that is you have to be impressed with is that most most clubs you see the one three one the sit back the wait you know and the Avalanche actually did that in one game where they. Against St. Louis, they kind of sat back and it let St. Louis get back in that game, but they learned their lesson from that game as they learned the lessons from years before. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody, you know, they're saying that, you know, they didn't think maybe the first two losses in the um, second round hurt them enough. And then last year, that one absolutely devastated them, and they were not going to let anything happen to this team this year. And when you play that way, your way, um, cause I, was, I was, I had a, 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 you know, just a conversation, and, and we were, you know, he kind of looked at me, and we were laughing. Uh, Kale McCarr, uh, there was about 10 seconds to go, and he dumped the puck into the far corner. And, you know, usually defensemen back off. He chased that thing down. Yeah, it was brilliant. He was, he was not no, but he was not going to let that thing get out of the zone. He he yeah. was on that guy. That poor guy looked over his shoulder. I'm sure and said, "What is? I mean, isn't that a def- defenseman?" And you know, and the Avalanche did that all all playoff. They their defenseman to me, as well as the forwards played and all the wonderful stories. But it was the defensemen as a group that were the difference that other clubs didn't have. The Avalanche defensive core, and that was, I think, was really the difference in all of the series. I, I'm going to hop around because you keep bringing me to different topics, and and it, you know Bobby Orr, you play Bobby Orr, so it, the comparisons seem legitimate to me, but my opinion is is meaningless compared to yours how legitimate how fair are the comparisons to you know what what you know everybody has always said he's the greatest defenseman ever because of how he could play on both ends of the ice you see i two things two things that happen uh in my mind with with kale uh one there is he has no one He's elevated his game to the point where, uh, you know, you're not comparing him to Bobby Orr or Ray Borg. He's just – you're going to compare other people to him. He is ele- And that's hard to do. After three years in the National Hockey League, you are now that defenseman in the league and the defenseman in the game in history that people are comparing a young defenseman to and a defenseman to. And, you know, he's just – People say, well, is he the next Bobby Orr? Not him, but a player. And yeah. they'll be saying, is he the next Kale McCarr? I mean, you know, he's he's right there. I mean, right there with Bobby. Now, I think every single player that has ever played in Boston has a place in their heart for Bobby Orr because of the spectacular person that he was and the way that he handles himself in his career. But Kale is exactly the same. I mean, you get lumped onto your resume, two first-team All-Stars, Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year, Norris Trophy, best defense in the National Hockey League, Conn Smythe, best player in the playoffs. 
uh, and then you turn around, you, you know, and you handle it, you know, so well. You handle it so well, and this is where the comparison you can compare. The guys in Boston were always Bobby was always happier for the guys in Boston when they won than he was for himself winning anything. And Kale is exactly the same way. It's teams. It's my guys. It's my defensive partner taste. It's all of that. And, you know, you can run those comparisons. But my, my, I am always taken back, Kale, and to one story, and I've, I've repeated it a couple of times, but it, it's always something that I write for myself just uh, in at the start of the year about certain players. You know, I've, uh, I retired, you know, whatever, and I was started doing this, and I get to Edmonton, and, um, obviously I'd, I'd played against Gretzky, but, um, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna do the journalist thing, and a friend of mine, Craig McTavish, was playing for the Edmonton Oilers, and I went to, uh, McTee, and I went, okay, you know, okay, Gretzky, you know, what about this, you know, what, what, what does he do different? What makes him so special? Da 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 you know, and he looked at me, right? He goes, Max, not you too. And I went, what? Don't, um, I, I, and he sure shook his head. He just plays the game better than anybody else. You know, and, and that's, that's what Kale does. Kale just plays the, the game of hockey better than anybody. People were talking about his edging and his stick work and his defense and his offense and, you know, which is better. And it just goes on and on. He is, Right now, I think he's elevated himself. There's McDavid, there's McKinnon, and Austin Matthews maybe in Toronto. Certainly he he had a tremendous year. And Kale McCarr. Okay, you can start your argument there or your conversation there. Who's the best player in the world right now? And, uh, you know, he's done that in three years, you know, in the league. I mean, that's that's just a rocket ship to the top of the mountain. It, it's It's fantastic. More with the great Peter McNabb in one moment, but first this for Ideal Home Loans. Ideal Home Loans has been helping you get your mortgages and get refinanced for more than 20 years, not only in Colorado, but in Arizona as well. And they're a phone call away at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. These are turbulent times, as we know, with market rates. And you may still be in the market for a home. I know things have slowed down a little bit, but... Uh, you may still want to try to take advantage of, of moving or of upgrading your current home. They can help you in every regard, and they're going to handle all of your questions and find you the best product to get your project done or to get that new home purchased. They've done it, as I've said, at such a high level for more than two decades. And uh, their phone call away, as I said, 303-867-7000. Brent Ivinson and his team have earned an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau because they are marvelous at taking care of you. 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. Now more with Peter McNabb. I say this quite frequently, Peter, in, in all sports. I say this to, to kids I coach. I say this to, to fans when, when the idea of competitor comes up. And what I'm leading you to is this. You played with, you have observed guys with otherworldly skills. But it takes a unique individual to not only have those that skill set, but also to be an otherworldly competitor. And you know you know what I'm driving at, Peter. McKinnon's oh, yeah. unbelievable. McCarr's unbelievable. Nobody would ever... You love baseball, Peter. You've seen great baseball players, but they're guys that honestly would run over their, their grandmother to win a game. And that... Not every athlete, even at the highest level, has that. I saw that from Nate McKinnon, for one, in this postseason. Yeah, well, Landis God for me is a given. Landis God, Peter, I've said this, you know, on, on this podcast, I've done other things. I don't know Gabriel Landis God. I love the guy. I compare him to 
a guy that I idolized because he won, he helped obviously win the cup for the Rangers. You know, I'm a New York guy in 94 and that's Messier. Great player and uh, an even better leader. It doesn't matter whether it was sports or industry. You'd want that guy at the front of the room. That's Gabe Landis guy, right? Yeah. And you know, if you, you have to look no farther, you know, I think every, every avalanche fan should still be, whew, you know, because the contract last year, you know, and Joe's got a business to run and he was, but everybody finally, you know, they, they, it came together and that was the day that they won the Stanley Cup. That was that, that signing, uh, won them all. And then there's all the other stuff certainly that goes into it because you, to me, you have to look no farther than, uh, what Gabe Landeskog did for his hockey club. 23 games, 54 or five days. Before the the playoffs were going to start, Gabe went in and had his knee done, and you know he had to have the whole process done, then the rehab, and then skating, getting himself back in shape, and he did not miss a beat, and that is close to impossible. That is absolutely close to impossible when you have a leg injury, and you're trying to come back, and he. He nursed it. He took his days off, and he did his treatments. And uh, and then when it came to game time, you know, he uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, he – you know, I had a, a chance to talk to him, and he, he, he kind of put his arm on my shoulder, and his hand was just shaking. I mean, were such – there was such intensity still there for him, and he – you know, yeah. it was just remarkable. And when he speaks, they listen. When he does stuff, they do stuff. And – you know, it's 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 always fun because you know you're absolutely right. I had a I've played with guys that had unbelievable skill, but I always used to say to myself, "Where is this skill when it counts?" You know, it's like you got to you do a lot of great stuff when against the half-assed teams in the league or practice. But you know, you need it now. You know, in three three going to the third. And that's what Gabe does. Gabe gets the big goal early. He gets the big goal in the third. It, it's, it goes on and on. And then McKinnon, I mean, he was, he, oh my, I would, you know, it's, it's remarkable to watch a guy that you know is as driven as he is. I mean, he is his own hardest critic and he, you know, he, oh my goodness, does he get himself ready for a hockey game? He comes out and he is just electric out there. And, you know, so you start building on that. And then you've got, um, you know, McCarr, who you're not sure what's going on inside there, you know. But I've talked to enough of his teammates that without question, without question, he is their their best, one of their top competitors. He is He hates losing, can't stand losing. And, you know, it's the common theme with this club was they couldn't stand losing. It wasn't like they really like winning. Of course you do. But you, once you win, it's behind you. Once you lose, it's right in front of your face. It's like right there. And the Avalanche didn't lose two in a row. Um, you know, they were better. They were actually better on the road than they were at home. Uh, and it was just a remarkable uh, you know, playoff 16 or four. I, I think once the Edmonton Oilers in the late eighties went 16 and three, but this was right there with the very, very, very best playoff runs ever. There's no question. Peter, have you ever seen a faster team? I'm not talking about, you know, one line or even, you know, your top six. I, I'm talking about all five guys on the ice, no matter the pairings on the back end or whether your third or fourth line uh, was on the ice. Have you ever seen collectively a faster uh, hockey team? I have. I have not. I've seen teams that have the same number of fast players, and this, you know that the, they have athletes that are just as fast as the athletes the Avalanche have. But this, you know, that that's a Coach Bedner thing. That I mean, you got to go back, and, and and this is one of the really interesting things for me because this ridiculous NHL coaching carousel where, you know, at, at one point before the playoffs kind of got really going, there were 10 job openings in the National Hockey League. Well, there's only 32 teams. You know, uh, it, and then you look at Cooper, Sullivan, and in, in Cooper's number one, mm-hmm. and they've won Stanley Cups. 
Sullivan's number two, and they've won as far as longevity with their team. Yep. And then now Bender is right there. He's six years, and he's got a Stanley Cup. And, you know, I am a uh, practice – I morning skates are kind of iffy for me. Uh, but I, I love practice. I love going to practice. And I've watched Coach Bender's practice now for six years. And that first year that he was here, the thing that I respected more than anything is that was a 48-point team that was off. And there were guys that they needed to move, and Joe saw that. And I'm sure at some point during his summer, Coach Bedner, when he saw 303 area codes, and oh boy, what is this going to be? Yeah, they stuck. Joe believed in them and stuck with them, and they just gotten better and better. And the practices, if you watch them, they all make sense for how they fit into the year. Do you have three days off, one day off, two days off? Or, you know, whatever you have, but, you know, because one of the coaches said to me that the, the, the great thing they did this year, they managed rest really well. And Joe's always maintained that rest is a weapon. So, you know, they, so he didn't have to, Coach Benner didn't have to see himself on the ice coaching. You know, he, he had to, he wanted to see what he needed to see. Practice for the Avalanche are remarkably precise. I've, I, you know, a couple of times, obviously, when they've been off for four or five days, you know, practice may go 50, 55, 60 minutes. But the average practice for the Avalanche is 30, 35 minutes. And they're fast, they're quick. Coach Bender goes to the uh, the white chalkboard or white eraser board or whatever twice during, you know, during practice, does the drills. And the players know that speed, 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 that's that's what they're working at. So they play with speed. And every time you turn around and you say, what's different about this Avalanche club? The defensemen are constantly jumping up into the play, jumping up into the play with speed, jumping up into the play when no other team. I, and then this is what I'm really going to be interested in is, you know, like any sport, it's the same thing. The copycat syndrome. Okay, how is it going to affect the next thing coming up, which is the draft? Now, do those players that are faster, quicker, are they elevated a little bit rather than the, you know, the stronger, maybe not so fast guys? Do guys look at teams and coaching and say, wait a minute, we want to coach this way because, you know, the way that the Avalanche, I mean, the, the defenseman for the Avalanche, as I said, they made a difference all season long of how they were coached. I mean, it, it, all you have to do is look at Josh Manson and look at how he played when he first got here. And it was kind of just trying to figure out the system. By the time the playoffs were done, he's jumping up into the play. When uh, you know, when Lockin scored the game winner in Tampa Bay in the second period, to McKinnon has the puck to his left is Lockin, to his right is Manson. You know, and if Manson's not there. It's a two-on-two, a simple you know, you play your man, you play him, and maybe a shot gets through. But you know, it's it's not an odd man break. And that's what they did time after time. So I'll be interested to see if the avalanche speed with how they use the puck, you know, because it, you know, it, it sounds, you know, old, cold, cliche, whatever. The puck moves way faster than you do. And the avalanche pass the puck ahead, move, move forward, and jump into the play. They're not going to keep up. You're never going to keep up with the puck if you're moving it at the right pace because, you, you know, you just got to jump up and get involved. You know, you mentioned Manson, Peter. I wanted to ask you this. He he was remarkable. Um, there were a number of additions that, and I think back to the great, the late great Pierre Lacroix, and, and the great additions he always made to elite hockey teams around the trade deadline. Well, Joe made several changes this year. If you had to, in in any way, shape, or form, try to prioritize, you know, the the guys he got and the impact they had, how would you do that? It's really very easy. You look at the Avalanche. You said, okay, what do we need? They needed that four or five defenseman that was top, and Manson was out there, and they paid a high price. They, the the uh, BC kid that they that they gave up in a second round pick. You know, uh, he's going to play in the league. And, but Manson comes in, and Manson 
was four, I mean, five, back and forth playing with, you know, Bull Byram and, and all of this stuff. But he was tough and he was mean. And he was, you know, he was that guy that they just added a little bit, you know, Maybe the Avalanche said in years past we weren't quite tough enough. Well, you got Manson back there, you got Johnson back there, and which they didn't have the last couple of years because of injuries, and now you've got two great big guys on that right side with McCarr. So that whole right side changed just overnight when Manson gets there. EJ had a spectacular year, and but he's you know he wasn't there. I mean you know you look at the Avalanche defensemen uh, from last year when they, you know a lot of people thought the Avalanche might win a Stanley Cup. There was four brand-new defensemen on the ice, four or six. Four of the six defensemen were brand-new. So, obviously, they saw something, and Manson steps in. You know, Lackanen, I didn't know that much about him, but I was told, you know, from my, my friends in Montreal that you, you watched this guy. He had four game-winning goals. He had a game-winning He had a serious clincher against Edmonton. He had the serious, you know, clincher in the Stanley Cup game-winning, you know, the series winning game sort of thing. So, I mean, what the Avalanche gave, the you know, Coach Bedner when was a a depth guy in their top six, and they're hard to find. They are hard to find, but they found the perfect – they had four game-winning goals in the playoffs. I mean, more than anyone else. And, uh, you know, he was spectacular. And then you get a, a trade at the – right at the end, right at the end of the trade deadline – you get a trade that maybe you think, okay, you know, who is this guy? You know, Andrew Cogliano from comes over, you know, fourth line left winger comes over from San Jose. He had an incredible impact because now all of a sudden you put Helm in the middle, you put O'Connor out there, and that fourth line is just a pain in the ass to play against because they all skate a million miles an hour. They all play. I mean, Helm, I just I roared Helm the first two games against Tampa, twenty two hits. You know, and, and but that's that way. The, that's that how that line played. Two two quick observations. First of all, Helm can still fly, which you know, and he's been in the league a long time. He can still fly. There's a guy. He didn't play real early in the playoffs, and it, it surprised me because I love this guy. Twofold reason, Peter. One, and one, you're going to agree with me because he's a deep. He, he's a well. I'm telling you, you will because the guy plays with his hair on fire. He's a DU alum. I'm partial to you, and sure as shit, I know you're partial to DU, and that's and that's Logan O'Connor. And one and once once Coach Bednar put him in the lineup, he never took him out again. Well, and then there's one step further. Once he put him in the lineup, and you know Logan went onto that fourth line, and that fourth line it just went click, and it and it was perfect for how Coach Bednar wanted to use it. They could kill penalties. They could. He could put them out against absolutely anybody, and it didn't matter who the other team threw in the ice. He had absolute, complete confidence, whether it was McDavid or O'Reilly or whoever. It didn't matter because that line was, I mean, they, you could count on them. And, you know, <laughs> I, always, I always laugh because, you know, the, the coaches love that, and that's why I had a, a really interesting career. I couldn't always be con- I wasn't the most consistent guy, you know, and I, but I played with guys that were, and they are so important for the fabric of a team. And that, the, those three guys together just had a magnificent, you know, Cogliano uh, uh, had a couple game winning goals. The Helm scored the big goal against St. Louis because once you get into overtime and it was 3 2 for the Avalanche, you never know. That, that may have come back to Colorado tied at three. So, yeah. you know, they, every little time you point to something, there's somebody out there that maybe wasn't with the Avalanche last year or, you know, stepped up this year, and they all did their their own thing. Going through the two months of the Stanley Cup playoffs when you are the last one standing, there are so many, many stories and many chapters. And, and for me, this is a major story, I think, for anyone that's followed the Avalanche. And, and that's what Naz. Kadri went through his evolution as a player, you know, and always an edgy guy. Last year he gets suspended for eight games, very costly, and he kept everything in control. He got assaulted on the ice in St. Louis, and he comes back with a hat trick. And then he breaks his thumb, and he has surgery, and he comes back, and he has a game-winning goal. 
Peter, how do you describe what you witnessed? His playoff this year will be spoken of in, you know, hockey lore as far as how he was. I mean, the whole St. Louis thing, I, I won't get into it too much, but that was just, I mean, so, I mean, the, you know what? It's it was it was sick people, you know, whatever. So, sure. but you know, but but the way he responded, and the way that he, you know, handled it, and the way that his family handled it, which should never ever be the case, but it was. And you know, it was it it just in the locker room. I'm sure it just rose. It took him up a, a notch. And then then coming back after you know 18 days. And, you know, surgery, and I, I talked to the doctor that, you know, and he said that, you know, it's a three-month injury. You know, that's that's something where you, when a guy when a guy says, how long is he going to be out? He said, well, he had, he had this and this done. He'll be back in three months, you know, and you're like, it's 10 to 12 weeks or 12 weeks, 12 to 14 weeks. And, you know, it, he, uh, it, it, <laughs> he just, he comes back and then he scores the game-winning goal in overtime, and it's, you know, and he comes back and when he's picking the cup up, you know, and the second time he went to pick it, there's blood running down his wrist. I mean, you know, it's like and Cogliano is playing with a brace, you know, and if if you were to have seen the ice bags and the treatments and Natushkin, you know, completely unable to walk. But he could skate and he played. You know, it, it 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 just goes on and on as far as the locker room and what you what you are willing to do. What you're willing to do is probably beyond anything you think you'll be able to do, but you you find a way. So as I said, there's always so much to cover with Peter McNabb, and actually there's a ton to cover on this Avalanche team. We could not limit it to one show. So Peter will be back next week, and you'll hear part two as uh, we not only continue to talk about this version of the Avalanche, but uh, we go back in the uh, Wayback Machine and we talk about Sackick when he had skates on and Peter Forsberg and compare and contrast a little bit the last cup team in, in 2001 and also the greatest hockey line he ever saw, though it was only together for one period. You don't want to miss that. That's next week um, on uh, part two of our interview with uh, Peter McNabb. Again, huge congrats. If you're going to the parade, enjoy it. Get everything out of, uh, out of this uh, splendid ride by the Colorado Avalanche, the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. We'll have more to do with the uh, Rockies next week as well, naturally, and anything else that's going on in the world of sports. A reminder, as always, to uh, check out... Uh, my buddy on the DNBR podcast, Patrick Lyons, he does it each and every day, and he keeps you abreast of all things Rockies, all things baseball. That's the DNBR uh, Rockies podcast and all the good product that uh, DNBR puts out. I think I teased also that um, we were going to have Clint Hurdle on this week. Well, the Avs went and stole the thunder with winning the cup. We're going to have that interview with with Clint. Um, it, it's one that's it, that's timeless. It, it it has shelf life because we talk about a lot of different things. So um, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks with the uh, former Rockies manager and now special assistant uh, to Billy Schmidt. So we'll have Clint uh, in the coming days as well. Thanks for joining. Uh, as always, thanks for spreading the word about our podcast. Uh, make sure you keep telling other folks about it uh, in, uh, in your interactions. Take care. Stay safe. Stay well. Go Avs go. Stanley Cup champions. Talk to you next week.